Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock. I'm Thomas Miller, and we are going to talk about something that those of you learning astrology are going to be very interested to hear Robert's thoughts on. So we hear the terms ruler or exaltation, and then we hear the opposite of that. We hear detriment and fall. Well, first of all, is it even something that we should look at, or have modern times grown us past looking at somebody, looking at a client and saying, ooh, you have Venus in Scorpio, it's in detriment, ooh, or is it something that is relevant and we need to unpack and be aware of? Robert, help us, please. <laughs> well, these, these dignities, if you will, go way back, at least to Arabic astrology. A planet, when it's in a sign that it rules, like Mars in Aries or Scorpio, is in its domicile. It's in its home sign. If it is in a sign opposite one of the signs that it rules, then it's considered to be in its detriment. So Mars in either Libra or Taurus is detriment because Libra is opposite Aries, Taurus is opposite Scorpio. And then each planet, at least the seven ancient planets, the sun, the moon, and Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, those planets all have a sign in which they are considered to be exalted. So, for example, the sun is exalted in Aries. Its home sign is Leo. So it's detrimented when it's in Aquarius. The sun is exalted in Libra, in, in Aries, which is considered its best sign. And the sign opposite a planet's exaltation is its fall. So when the sun is in Libra, as I have it, it's in its fall, which means its expression is considered to be either weakest or in some way limited or, de or detrimental. But it's in its fall. Let's say the sun is in its fall in Libra. The moon is exalted in Taurus. And which is considered the best sign it can be. It's in its fall in Scorpio. Uh, and then, of course, the moon rules the sign of Cancer, so it's detrimented if it's in Capricorn. The Mercury is considered exalted in Virgo. Thank heaven I have it. <laughs> it's the only exaltation I have, but it's a great one. Uh, so Mercury is considered in its fall in Pisces. So in Virgo, for example, Mercury gets to be all of its analytical, skeptical, um, scientific, uh, detailed, perfectionist self. In Pisces, Mercury is at its is in its fall because Pisces is so porous and open to external influences, the weather the emotional tone of people nearby. You can be standing, Mercury in Pisces, standing in line at the grocery store, can suddenly feel sad for no reason. Well, maybe the person right behind them in line has lost somebody recently and is sad, and they're picking up on that. So Mercury in Pisces is sub subject to a lot of external influences, especially emotional ones, water sign Pisces, that in that conflict, I guess, with Mercury's tendency in Virgo to be logical, analytical, and so on. 
Uh, Venus is considered to be exalted in Pisces, which is one of the signs of healing and compassion. And that's where Venus best expresses. But it's in its fall in the sign opposite. That's Virgo. Venus and Virgo is in its fall. Mars is exalted in Capricorn. And therefore, it's in its fall in Cancer. Uh, it's a difficult position, Mars and Cancer. I just read for someone yesterday with this position. It tends to indicate a lot of family dramas. And this one had it in spades in her chart. Her brother committed suicide. Another bro brother was murdered. On and on and on. Uh, so Mars is exalted in Capricorn in its fall in Cancer. And op Mars rules, as we talked about, Aries and Scorpio. So Mars is detrimented when it's in Libra or Taurus. Jupiter is exalted in Cancer, the best place to have it, the sign of the home and the family and nur nurturing and nourishment and so on, and security. Uh, best place for Jupiter. Its fall is in Capricorn, opposite the sign of its exaltation. Saturn is exalted in Libra, and therefore it's in its fall in Aries, opposite Libra. And there are such things as accidental dignity, which simply means if a planet is located in the house that corresponds to the sign of its exaltation in the natural wheel, then it's called accidentally dignified. So I happen to have Saturn in Cancer, which is detrimented. Saturn rules Capricorn. The sign opposite Capricorn is where Saturn is detrimented, and that's Cancer. So I have it detrimented. But by position, my Saturn is in the seventh house, which corresponds to the seventh sign of Libra. So my Saturn is accidentally dignified by position, which is great for someone like me, who is a consultant, for example, which is a seventh house position. Not so great for marriage. But th these accidental dignities are, are I think important to be aware of. So Saturn, uh, Jupiter rather, in the fourth house, no matter what sign it's in, Jupiter in the fourth house is accidentally dignified because the fourth house is the natural wheel position of Cancer and so on. So that's an easy way to kind of remember these signs of domicile or detriment or dignity or exaltation and fall. All right. And I want to ask a question that I'm sure people are thinking, and it's the same question that people ask it's the same nature of the question when somebody says, I don't have a planet in a particular house or in a particular sign or, you know, am I deficient in that area? So the same question here, if somebody does not have a planet exalted, so they obviously all of their planets have their ruling signs, right? But if they don't have a planet in the sign of an exaltation, are they quote unquote missing something? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And, you know, everybody has empty houses. So when you have an empty house, it's simply you take the ruler of the house, which means the ruler of the sign on the cusp of that house, even if it's 29 degrees. And a lot of people have this, Thomas. I use equal houses, for example. So you can have 29 degrees on the cusp of a sign, which means, let's say you have Taurus on the fifth house, 29 degrees. Well, the house is still ruled by Venus. It's ruled by Taurus. But most of the house is Gemini. 
So you have to just be aware of that. Still, then if you have an empty house, you take the sign on that cusp and the planet ruling that sign, and that planet will rule that house, those house matters, but that planet will be located in another house, which means that the other house matters will either take precedent over the house that Venus rules or in some way directly affect matters. So if you have Taurus on the fifth and it's empty, that's the house of, let's say, children or creativity. And maybe you have Venus in uh, Scorpio opposite that house. Well, Venus is detrimented in Scorpio because it's opposite Taurus. And wherever you have Venus, that that house will rule, overrule children and creativity in your life because you don't have any planets in that house. So you may have Venus in the 10th, for example, which would be your career. So Venus ruling the empty fifth house in the 10th house of career says, hmm, your creativity is probably a major part of your career. And also your, your career will probably take precedence over children in your life. Well, it's true in my chart, for example. So based on that, that when you have an empty house and look to see where's the ruler placed, and you begin to think about how those house matters where the planet is located, how they affect this other empty house that Venus rules or whatever the planet is, then you begin to get a little deeper understanding about maybe why that house is empty. doesn't mean you won't have children or that you can't have them, but it may warn you that, hey, this is a guy who is very devoted to his career, and that can get in the way of his relationships with his children if he is unaware of it, which I think is the whole point of astrology, is simply to make you aware of yourself in a different way than you can get anywhere else. Nowhere can you get this kind of enlightenment except through this. And then, of course, add psychology to it. If you need to work on personal problems, for heaven's sake, get in a group, work on it. But um, astrology gives you this kind of insight and perspective that I just have never found anywhere else. Psychology only adds to astrology, which is why I encourage all astrologers to get as much psychology, whether it's on their own reading uh, or getting into a, a psychology group to work on their own issues. Amen to that. Then distinguish for us the difference of the characteristics of a planet in its ruling sign, so the planet as the ruler, so let's just use Jupiter, for example. So Jupiter in Sagittarius, its ruler environment, versus its exaltation environment, which would be Cancer. What's the difference there? Well, you just read it, you know, straight out from your understanding of Jupiter in Sagittarius. It's in its domicile, its home sign. So it will tend to be a philosophical kind of position for Jupiter, and also one that tends to indicate insatiable curiosity about big issues, religion, politics, philosophy, psychology, spirituality, higher education, all of those kinds of associations. Whereas Jupiter in Cancer, the sign of your basic foundation and your security, Jupiter is in its best sign, it's exalted in Cancer. And that's where it functions best your higher self, if you will, the philosophical, spiritual, religious side of you, which is Jupiter, is in the home sites about the home and family, so that all of the implied wisdom of Jupiter 
and Jupiter rules psychology, it rules the law. And so all of those, uh, those are all brought into the family and the home and security. So you are at your best when you're concentrating on nurturing and nourishing those aspects of your life. So having, having a family, having a home and property, real estate could be a great business if you want to externalize it that way and so on. So it's just straight reading. I, I don't know that it, it's yeah, as it strong, I guess it's as strong and as affluent and as expressed as it is in its ruling sign, right? Yeah, except it's in a different, for example, in Sagittarius, it's much more likely to express outwardly in, in public, really, uh, compared to Jupiter in Cancer, where it expresses more privately and with your closest friends and people that you have into your home and your family and your children, your relatives, your extended family, and so on, which is a wonderful place for it because it, it tends to indicate no matter what the family dynamics are or the dysfunctions, Jupiter there will tend to be able to heal them or help heal them and learn from the healing and overcome the healing and become a better person than otherwise, you see. Excellent. Great. Okay, so you've done over 50,000 readings that you've documented. My gosh, I haven't done 50. The only thing I could possibly have done 50,000 or more times is screw up. (laughs) 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 But you've done 50,000 readings, all right? As you've looked at chart after chart after chart, is this still applicable today? Do we look at somebody and say... Let me talk you through your Mercury and fall in Pisces, or do you just say, no, we've grown through that in modern times? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I mean, it's a, uh, I, as I said, I have a what looks like a horrible chart. Well, as I got deeper into astrology and I under, began to understand squares, for example, yeah, they represent conflict. They also represent ambition, Nobody is going to strive for anything unless there is a perceived conflict. You know, if everything is smooth and trines and sextiles, those easy aspects are preservative of the status quo, but they don't imply action of any kind because there's no conflict in a trine or a sextile. So when you have squares, if you are ambitious, as I am and you are, uh, that implies conflict. Because you're dissatisfied with the status quo and you're ambitious for this other goal over here. So that means you are going to somehow have to move away from the status quo in order to achieve this ambition or this goal. And that automatically presupposes conflicts of some kind. So uh, you, you see a grand cross used to be called, I think, the Rockefeller configuration because one of the Rockefellers had a grand cross. I don't know. But it is true. Um, so I am forever trying to educate people, especially new astrologers who are terrified of certain aspects. And you don't need to be. I, as I say, I've got the Saturn square my sun and moon and my sun moon opposition. And I was born into that kind of family, Uh, didn't particularly like my family and didn't like the region of the country that I was born into and so on. Well, my soul chose it for some reason or other. And I think the reason was to show or give me a presentation of a certain way of life that was exemplified in my mother and father and to look at it. And I could have chosen to do what they wanted me to do and tried to live a life based on their approval or my 
town's approval or my region's approval. I didn't want the approval because I didn't see anything I liked. <laughs> I didn't want to be like my parents. I didn't want to be like the region of the country I was born in. So I couldn't wait to get out and did, you know, at, at 20, finally, well, actually 18, 17, when I went off to college, I initially got away, but I, I moved as far away as I, and the only place I could move to do what I wanted to do in life at that point was to be an actor was Los Angeles. I could have chosen New York, but so that's the kind of, conflict and frustration that's built in, but it impels you to either be yourself and be true to yourself, or in my case, I had a real choice. I could have tried desperately to conform to what my father, you wanted me to be a doctor like he was. I couldn't, I, I really appreciated what he did and I admired him for what he did, but it was absolutely not for me. I could never have done it. So I, uh, was, I guess, faced in being true to myself. And you keep doing that on higher and higher levels as you get older and older. Having been frustrated with love and marriage, I mean, I had, look, I'm, thank heaven for my experiences. It's great to be in love. There's nothing like it. But after I reached a certain age and, and the way things had worked out in my life, I thought, you know, I couldn't have planned it better. Thank heaven I did not get married and have children early as I thought I wanted to do because it would have forced me to take care of a home and family and, and be in a career that was much more stable than either acting or astrology or writing. So I would not have been able to fulfill those aspects of myself if I had tried to conform. So in that sense, I think we all evolve, to use Stephen Forrest's phrase, evolutionary astrology, we evolve out of, uh, let's say, a primitive understanding of our horoscopes into something much deeper. Yeah, I love the combination of it. I do. I love the combination of being able to recognize the shadow and the solution at the same time. And that's the big thing, because with me, for example, Thomas, everybody knows this, too. I came from an alcoholic background. Well, I didn't, I didn't know it was alcoholic. Everybody I knew drank. Everybody. Every parent. And the kids all started drinking around 15, 16 in high school. Uh, so everybody drank. And it was just that was normal to me. And then... After I got to Los Angeles, I loved to drink. It was great fun until I began to read. Frankly, it was the first book, the old A to Z delineator that said, watch out for alcohol, watch out for drugs. You need to be very careful about the people you associate. All those old fatal. Well, it was all true. And I thought, uh-oh. And I was 20 when I first read that. I thought, hmm, you come out of an alcoholic background, you've probably got a drinking problem at 20 already. So finally, at about 34, I guess, somewhere there, I finally took myself to a men's psychology group to deal with that. And of course, I learned so much more about myself than just that. And all of it fit in with astrology. So psychology feeds astrology and vice versa. In fact, that was the first uh, begin, first time I, I ever read for a psychologist. He had a client uh, and he said, if I gave you a client's birthday, would you read, maybe record something? And I said, sure. And so I did. And all I remember about it, so at some point in the recording, I said, I don't know if this man is an only child, but he has what we call only child syndrome, which I kind of explained to him. And he, a few weeks later, told me, he said, well, 
I played your recording for that patient. And I said, oh, my God, you didn't tell me you were going to do that. I'm, yeah. He said, well, he was furious. And I said, I, I bet he was, especially with the only child, because he is an only child. And he said, we were already at the end of his therapy anyway. So that was a learning experience from then on when I worked with and still do work with psychologists occasionally. Uh, I tell them, don't, this is for you. This is not to be shared with the client. But anyway, that's, that's, been, that's what I mean by outgrowing and, and maybe overcoming. I don't know if that's the right word. I really don't regret anything in my life, even the, the bad things. I learned from them. And they propelled me into doing something about the bad things, which is a way of, I don't know if it's overcoming them so much as evolving out of them. When I finally quit drinking, people <laughs> said, how did you do it? I said, I don't know. My perception of, of drinking is that whatever I thought I was getting from drinking, I get anyway. I just, I don't need it anymore. I love my, that, my buddy in Aspen who I skied with for about three years, has been in the Kundalini yoga for over 30 years, and he quit drinking 30 years ago. And Aspen, of course, you know, what a place to do that, right? I mean, because the whole (laughs) culture is built on alcohol. And uh, he'll go to a party, and they'll somebody will see that he's not drinking anything. Oh, you're not having a drink? He's, he just and of course he's in his uh, kundalini. You know, he's got a white hat on, and he's got a full beard and long gray hair. And he just look at him and say, "No, it'd just kill my buzz." <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. So it is a growth. You know, you make well, me. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's 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 been. I went to uh, very early on. I probably soon after I read that in the A to Z delineator. I went to an AA meeting at once, and I thought this isn't for me because I to me it seemed all right every week for the rest of my life. I have to come to this group, or maybe more than once a week, and stand up and say, "Hi, my name is Bob, and I am an alcoholic. I am powerless." over this inanimate liquid in this bottle or in this glass. So I'm standing up every week affirming my own weakness and my own inability. And I thought, that's like a negative affirmation every week. And then I started watching what what did everybody do on the breaks? They smoked cigarettes like there was a five alarm fire and consuming caffeine like they were the last coffee bean on earth. So, so when I went to transactional analysis, and that's how I got got a grip and an understanding. So it's not a matter of being terrified of some external inanimate object. That's ridiculous to me. Now, alcohol absolutely has a physiological addictive effect, so there's certainly that. But the idea that I am powerless over, no, I, I just I couldn't accept that. That's not true for me i'm not powerless you know i've got the same aspect i've got the sun sitting right on top of neptune and i drink it's right here i drink chai tea that i make fresh every week (laughs) it has this is you know this is what i mean thomas about neptune being refinement that is what the planet is about it certainly rules toxins like alcohol but if you get a grip if you if you have a problem with alcohol anyway you refine your understanding of it and then you refine your relationship to it that's so it's it's that 
that's Neptune. To yeah. me, and you've got that in spades. Well, and Mars. the refinement. I mean, listen to what I sip on all day, and I'll tell you something here in a second, especially in light of the pandemic we've been through. So this is not the full ingredients list. If you guys would like my chai tea recipe, by the way, go over to the funastrology.com website and go to the free stuff section and the kundalini song list and chai tea recipe is in there as a free download so you can just go over there pop your email in and you can download it for free it's really cool Hemet gave it to me but it has all organic peppercorns cloves i'm not going to get everything cardamom ginger fresh ginger cinnamon sticks and then i put elderberries in because elderberries are a great immune system booster and I cook it all in a pressure cooker for 30 minutes. And that's what I drink all week long. And then I add a little bit of splash of uh, apple cider with the mother vinegar and some cayenne pepper. And I'm telling you, Robert, Ooh. I have not been sick since I've started drinking this. And I just sip on it all day long. I make a big old, I've got the, you know, the giant sized mug. Yeah. And it's refreshing, it's soothing. It helps my voice. I mean, there's just it, every kind of benefit, and I just absolutely love it, and it's so healthy. It sounds delicious on top of being healthy. It sounds wonderful. Got to put a little sweetener in there. I use stevia, so anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was going to say this, too, and I, I mean, this, this crosses that line because I know there are a lot of awesome astrologers out there who – probably to some degree of excess, drink alcohol or use drugs. I couldn't see myself being effective in this space doing that. And maybe that's because I've got Neptune hammered, attached straight to my son. I mean, boom, same degree, same sign, everything. But that's just a personal thing. Is I, if I went back to that lifestyle, I don't think I could do what I'm doing. I think that's true, but I'll tell you something, Thomas. If you go back to ancient Greece and the oracle at Delphi, Delphi? Yes. This was a woman who was hidden. She, but, but the oracle, the actual structure, the, the columns and the, the, the roof and everything that were erected over, it's a fissure in a hillside, basically, that emits gases, which are psychedelic natural psychedelics so you have a mysterious woman sitting somewhere behind these rocks so she could speak and it would echo like a goddess or something who was basically stoned hmm. wow giving these readings so wow. the association of drugs and psychism and metaphysics and all of that is very ancient and what they do psychedelics in particular, the reason they can be so effective, and by the way, they seem to be staging a resurgence now. Oh, in yes, they are. In psychiatry. Absolutely. Yeah. And what they do is they absolutely open up certain neural pathways, I think, that alter perceptions. And that is one of the reasons I th think that astrologers or people in, in these fields either drink alcohol or smoke marijuana. I can't imagine doing a reading on acid, but I suppose somebody can. If you ever do it, let's record it. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. But I think that that's because these altered states of consciousness are a part of what we do. And this is another reason why I, alcohol, absolutely, maybe a drink might help. I don't know. But generally, alcohol uh, as a habit does not help much of anything. It becomes it's it's a poison. It's a toxin alcohol it's a you know literally a poison so it may alter your consciousness a little bit but it makes you sloppy and and a lot of other things that accompany all that so i don't i don't do drugs either but uh i think that's the association when i first learned this about the oracles back in the ancient days being and these drugs are used worldwide in these ancient rituals, you know, even by Amazon tribesmen, they can alter their consciousness or coca leaves in the in in Peru, for example, Machu Picchu using coca leaves alters your consciousness. But once you've altered it that way, and I, in fact, I got to meet Timothy Leary at one point, I think I've told you, uh, once you've had that experience, uh, you can learn to do it naturally. You can access those areas of consciousness naturally without having to spend a fortune on marijuana. That's what I was going else. to come back to. Yeah, is, and even the author that I've done all these audiobooks for, Fred Dodson, writes about that same thing, that once you get to the point where it comes from within, in between my two divorces, I ran around with Tony Robbins for a, a year. Oh, people, yeah. People yeah. know that. There was a thing that he started called the Platinum Partnership, and it was the year that, that, that was the year. I was one of the original Platinum Partners there and got to travel around, and it was a very intimate setting. Only about 20 people were Platinum Partners back then. Today, I think it's several hundred, but it was a really close-in group. So we would often be at the dinner table together, and half the group or more, I know I'm going to say 80% of the group, would drink alcohol, and Tony didn't. And the question came up, you know, what's the real reason why you don't drink? Tony's whole work is about state, you know, like the state that you're in. If you're if you go to approach a reading and you say, hi, my name is Robert and I hear you here for a reading. Well, that's not going to go so well. But, you know, if you say, hey, I am into this as you are and we can go for four hours and I could talk the whole time and it would just be an amazing, you know, that's a whole different experience. And what Tony said is is really good. He said that alcohol changes your state, just part of it. It changes your state. And he said, I've worked really, really hard on who I am, and I like who I am now. Why would I want to change it? And I couldn't relate to what he was saying at the time. I didn't like who I was, so that was the reason for drinking. You cover it up. But after all the work that I've done over the last 13 years, I can say, I've gotten to a point where I'm very comfortable with myself, and this isn't braggadocious. I mean, this is just like the work that I've done, and I'm proud of it from the standpoint of the change, from the transformation. My chart is reeks transformation, you know, it, but I've done this work, and I wouldn't want to change it. I like who I am. Those are so important, those points that you raised. You know, the first thing that alcohol does is to lower inhibitions. So one of the reasons that people will drink to excess is to feel like they belong. Another reason they drink is to have sex. 
Yeah. If they're sober, they're uncomfortable about having sex for whatever reason. And that means they're uncomfortable about intimacy, period. Marijuana is the same way, yeah. So those are part of what the drugs do. But, of course, they create a physiological dependency. And then you can't have sex without the drugs or you can't feel like you belong without the drugs. But when you get to that point, Thomas, which you have and which I have too, and I think anybody should with astrology, that's where you know yourself well, warts and all, and you've done your best to correct the warts and work on the weak spots that you have. And and you do, you like yourself and there's nothing to hide anymore. And there's, uh, there's, there's no barrier anymore. And you feel safe because you know who you are. And so nobody's going to come in and overwhelm you in any way. They can't. But that's it. It's about knowing yourself and liking yourself. You don't need those. And now, you know, really, I can be in an altered state of consciousness throughout the day, on and off, anytime I want to be. And it never interferes. It never, if I'm driving, it doesn't interfere with my drive. It's just, it's a hyper awareness to me. That's what the perception is. And you know, you mentioned something else about reading a chart and so on. It fascinates me. I think this is probably my old actor's training, which is mainly the show must go on. And every show is new to that audience. So you always, I don't care if you're sick or anything, you have to deliver. They're paying to see a performance, and by George, you'd better give it. With astrology, it's the same thing. Every horoscope to me, it's like an adventure. It's almost like a puzzle that I'm trying to decipher with and for the client. So it's a joy for me to read horoscopes. Because I'm finding out along with them as I read who they are and what they are and what's going on in their lives and why it's going on and when. So I'm acquainting them with these cycles and these situations and making them conscious. And it's, it's absolutely a joy. So I don't get tired reading the way I've heard some astrologers. How can you read two or three horoscopes a day for people? Because the session with me is usually around two hours and sometimes longer. But it doesn't exhaust me because it is, to me, it's thrilling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing about all of this is that I've come to appreciate, too, about astrology. When you sit with that chart, you don't see male or female. You don't see old or young, unless you look at the birth date. You, you don't see cultural. You don't see past sins. You just see a soul's journey. Yep. And the thing that I love, and I know we've kind of wandered around some topics here, but just you know, coming from where we come from, both of us have the Sun and Neptune together. Too close yes, together. Indeed. So yes, we've, indeed. We've visited this thing about addictions, which Neptune rules. For you, it might be the biggest thing that helps you function brilliantly in the world and socially and in every other kind of way, spiritually as well. So there's no judgment. It's just that we're all on this path. We're all on this journey, and there are a gazillion ways to get from A to B. At least a gazillion. <laughs> All right. Speaking of readings, if you'd like to get with Robert for one, the information is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I think the podcast hosts are telling us that we got to go, Robert. So we're going to get out of here. Until next time, we'll see you on the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock. <laughs>